Hymn 709 from Lutheran Service Book, The King of Love, My Shepherd Is. The King of Love, My Shepherd Is, Whose goodness faileth Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the 101 series, and I am Pastor Neil Wemus. I am an associate pastor in, at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Ida Grove, Iowa. 
Today we are going to be continuing through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, the last time I recorded, uh, we were we had just finished chapter seven, and today we're going to go through chapters eight and hopefully uh, finish through chapter nine. But with all, before we do that, it is important that we start with prayer. Uh, we're going to pray the collect that is the collect for East, the fourth Sunday of Easter. Almighty God, merciful Father, since you have wakened from death the shepherd of your sheep, grant us your Holy Spirit, that when we hear the voice of our shepherd, we may know him who calls us each by name and follow where he lay, leads. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So we're going to jump right into this text. We are going to be, as I said, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8. And so here we get at the first verse. It says, When Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will. Be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. So what I want to focus on is specifically that fourth verse. Okay, so first off, leprosy is a major illness that goes on throughout the scriptures. Because it was... It was a disease that completely infected your skin. It was it made you undesirable. You couldn't be a part of the community. Things such of that nature. And so, it's a very fitting disease um, to be featured throughout scriptures because it represents what sinfulness is. The sinful nature that all of us have. And so here that Jesus stretches out his hand, and by touching this, and when he touches this man, he is made clean. And by the way, that is a significance that Jesus chose to touch him. He touched the paralytic. He could have done it any other way, and this is going to come out in the next text, because in the next section, we're going to read about the faith of the centurion, and we're going to see that Jesus does not need to go touch them. He could just say, yep, yeah, yeah, he's clean, go. Go, go, go check him out and see if he's okay. He does not have to go there. He does not have to touch them. But he chooses. He chooses that the means by which to heal this leper is by touching him. Why is this significant? Well, because lepers had no physical contact. People were terrified of leprosy. Nobody touched them. They were afraid that even if the, the shadow of a leper were to fall upon you, you would get it. People were terrified of leprosy. Even other leper, lepers wouldn't touch other lepers. It was a horrible, lonely disease. And so this man, we don't know how long he had leprosy, but he, we know he had it. He's, and probably by this point, it's been a while. And so when Jesus touched him, it was the first time anybody has touched him. In a very long time. Touch is a powerful, powerful thing. 
They've shown in studies that if you don't have physical contact for long enough with another human being, you can actually become sick. I know, if, okay, this is, this is going to sound kind of depressing here, but, <clears throat> okay, so I don't know if you've ever seen the show Scrubs, um, but there's a, sh in, the, in the show Scrubs, there's kind of, in one of the episodes they had this ongoing joke involving um, a couple characters, and it's basically this whole thing with this lonely single guy, whenever he gets that physical touch, it's like, oh, and there's kind of this, this little funny moment where there's, this uh, delivery driver who's very, very single, and uh, Carla, who's one of the nurses in the show, just taps him on the shoulder and goes, oh, like, yes, yeah. you know, kind of like, oh, it's so wonderful, because it feels like the most precious thing. And then JD, you find out that he's just as lonely as him, and he does, and there's this moment where the two of them collide with each other, touch each other, they both go, oh. And that's kind of true, though. It's like, and I say this because I am a single guy, and there is something to that. It sounds depressing, but it's reality. Um, you know, even just a touch on the shoulder, whatever, it, some re when you don't have a lot of physical contact, it means something. Subconscious, it's like, it's on a very primitive level. And... Um, they have to even see this when it comes to, uh, you know, like, like when, to service industries. If, you know, if you're a waitress, if you make some type of physical contact with your customer, you it's actually been shown you will get a better tip. You know, that you'll get a better reaction, better um, reaction to the customer service. The customers will appreciate your service more. And now, I mean, yes, there are some people that have phobias, and so it does. It's not a hundred percent true, but this is the fact that touch is a powerful thing. So this leper, he would so so very long without no anyone touching him, and to be touched for that first time, it must have been a powerful, powerful moment. And then it's magnified by the fact, of course, that he's um, healed. And again, this goes to sin, is that, you know, he says, be clean. Leprosy is a disease that they speak of it need be cleansed. Our sin, of our sin, we need to be cleansed. And we are, when Jesus touches us in the waters of baptism. Um, in verse 4 now, it says, See that you say nothing to anyone but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for proof to them. Why does Jesus tell him not to um, say anything? What's the reason? Well, the reason is, very simply, is that Jesus did not come for the purpose of uh, healing. The purpose of healing. He did not come to heal diseases. Because the thing is, is that diseases that we have are temporary. They're not permanent. They're temporary. And so... Um... Yeah, it's temporary. So the purpose 
of these. So the reason Jesus came was to forgive sin, to get rid of sin, which is the, see, disease, Lep diseases such as leprosy is a symptom of the greater disease that is sin. And that is what Jesus truly came to cleanse. This is why he did not want him to go tell people what he had done. Because he knew what people would want. They would come to him for healing. To, for the miracle worker. Rather than for the one who forgives sins. And this is what happens in our own world. So many people look to Jesus primarily as the one who buy, gets me stuff and gets me a job. You know, makes me, my life better. They don't turn to him for the forgiveness of sins. Even though that is what he came for. So. And then notice, and it says, and then he says, but it, at the end it says, show yourself to the priest. And the reason is because he wants, by him cleansing this man of leprosy, he can partake of the Passover. He could enter into the temple. He couldn't do that before. And so that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus cleansed this leper so that he may receive the greater gift, and that is the forgiveness of sins. That is what is needful. So verse 5, When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority. With soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And his servant was healed at that very moment. So this is, okay, so Matthew is known as the Jewish gospel. And the reason is, is because the gospel, I mean, this is the Jewish gospel and um, Luke is the Gentile gospel, right? And the reason is because, and the reason where it especially comes out in Matthew is because Matthew has a lot of references to the Old Testament. But this, and it's, but it's because of this that some of the people featured characters or people within his gospel are surprising. Take, for example, the the, um, the genealogy. You have in there people like Ruth and Rahab and Bathsheba. 
all people who were Gentiles. You have the um, the Magi, they too, Gentiles. And now here you have this centurion who Jesus says has gr truly greater faith than anyone in Israel. And so you have him stating that it's a centurion, a, a Gentile who has the great faith, not a Jew. And why is he said that he has great faith? Notice this. this. Notice the wisdom of this centurion. He understands who God, he knows who Jesus is. He realizes that Jesus is a Lord. He is the Lord of everything because he knows that he can command a disease to be gone he can command that a, ma a man or woman be well, and they will be. He sees the authority that Jesus has. Again, another theme in Matthew is authority. This is where the centurion understands that Jesus is a man of incredible authority. Not just what who speaks with confidence, but he is a man that has authority over sickness. Alright? And so that's why and so that's why it's said that he has great faith. Verse 14. When Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So notice it says with a word, with a word, he cast them out. And that's how it works still to this day, with God's word. He heals us. He cleanses us of our sin and our sicknesses, our illnesses, our infirmities. And we should be doing what the mother-in-law of Peter did. Peter's mother-in-law, as soon as she was healed, what did she do? She began to serve Jesus. What are we to be doing? As soon as, when we have been forgiven, what do we do? We've been forgiven of our sins. We have been declared a child of God. We have been guaranteed paradise. We have been guaranteed eternity. What are we to do? We serve the Lord. How do we serve the Lord? We worship Him. We sing songs of praise. We pray to Him. We spend time in his word. We receive his sacrament. Which, by the way, cool thing, when we hear his word and receive his sacrament, which is serving him, the crazy, the coolest thing is that while we are serving him, he is serving us even more than we are serving him. But even more than that, we go out into the world and we tell people the gospel. We tell people of what Jesus has done for them. All right? Because we have been redeemed so shall we speak of that redemption to others. Verse 18. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, 
I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Huh. This is interesting. Is Jesus saying that we should not bother burying dead people? That we should just let them lay wherever they died? No, that's not what he's saying. It's very simple. Anybody that puts anything before God is not worthy of following him. That's it. See, you hear people say, well, I put God first in my life. God does not want to be first in your life. That's not enough. Because that, what you're doing there is, okay, well, I got, so I put, I spend time with God for an hour on Sunday. That's the first thing of the week that I do. And after that is everything else. That is me putting God first. Wrong. That is not anywhere close to being enough. God does not want you to put him first in life. He wants to be involved in everything you do, say, think, feel, yada, yada, yada. Everything you do is in service to God. So in other words, he says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father before I follow you. No! The burying of your father is to be a part of following him. So what you do is when you have that, that funeral, it better be Christ-centered. It should be spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, pouring God's word into your ears, into your heart, as well as to others. We do not, as a culture, take funerals, take death seriously enough. How many churches do celebration, how many people do celebrations of life services as opposed to funerals? Because we don't want to face the reality that death is there. And death isn't natural. We have to face it head on. How many churches you go to, the, how many places you go to the funeral, and the funeral is all about the individual in the casket, telling you about, oh, they're such a good person. Look at how they live their life, yada, yada, yada. No. Listen to me. If you're listening to this, you expect that you're going to die at some point, all right? I encourage you to be thinking about your funeral now. Prepare the details now. The people know what is in your funeral. All right? And I want you to understand that your funeral is your very last chance to tell others about Christ. Take it. 
take that opportunity. Make sure that the scripture readings you have, that the hymns you sing, clearly point to Christ. Alright? If you have find yourself in charge of a funeral where somebody did not, whoever it was that died, did not prepare very well. Again, I encourage you. Remember that this is your opportunity to proclaim Christ. Look at your hymns. Make sure they clearly proclaim Christ. They proclaim Jesus. If none of your hymns even mention Jesus by name, you need to find hymns that do. And if you can't, go talk to your pastor and he will be delighted to help you. Way too many of our funerals have hymns, too many of our funeral hymns are not Christ-focused. They tend to be self-focused. Alright? Or, many times they are written in such a way that any religion could sing them. Alright? I want you to look at your hymns and ask the question, could a Muslim sing this song? If they can, you need to find something else. Alright? Alright, move on. So like I said, your funeral, everything you do in your life is about Christ. So none of this... First, let me bury my father. Go and bury my father. And frankly, this is not just about burial. This is about how we live our life in general. I mean, I've you know I've worked a lot with youth, and one thing that's notoriously bad is how much our school lives take precedent over our church lives. That's our that is not to be. It should never be. Right? Christ is at the heart of everything. Okay. Verse 23. And when he, Jesus, got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. He said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? Now there is this little text. There's a danger that people fall into that they want to turn into this text. They'll go and say, Jesus calms the storms in your lives. That is what they will claim. Well, that's not what the text is about. And there's no promise that Jesus is going to calm all the storms in your lives. 
There is no call, promise of that in Scripture unless you understand the calming of the storm might be death itself. And death may be the thing that leads you out of the storm of the sinful, wretched life into eternity. But in this life, there is no promise that those storms in your life are going to be calmed. In fact, you look at this calming of the storm, what is interesting is if you actually pay attention to the text, and you listen, look at the way Jesus reacted, and if you really even think about the situation in general, Jesus did not have to perform this miracle. He could have just told them and said, Hey guys, just suck it up. It's a storm. Storms happen. Your father is not going to have me die. Your heavenly father is not going to have the Christ, me, the Christ, die in the middle of the sea. It's not going to happen here. All right, guys? You're going to make it home okay. So calm down. You know, suck it up, right? He could have done that. But he doesn't. He gets up. And out of, as an act of compassion, he, he grants their wish. But he also rebukes them for their lack of faith. Because they did not need that. And by the way, the fact that Jesus is asleep, this is actually, it's kind of amazing. That in this little four verses, you see the divinity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus both. Why is he asleep in the, on the boat, in the stern? He is asleep because he's tired. He's been going around teaching and performing miracles all over. He's tired. That's why he's in the boat. And the reason he's in a, sleeping while in a boat is because people who generally can't get out to the boat, it's more likely to have a period of peace. And yet here he has these whiny little disciples who get scared. And I say that knowing that I would have been a whiny little disciple and scared if I were on that boat. But nonetheless, they woke him up. He needed that rest. But then they saw him as, as he is. He is God. Because only God could tell a storm to be quiet and it obeys. And we came to the other side, to the country of Gadaranus. Two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tomb so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. He said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city they had told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their, their region. What is interesting on these this uh, issue with the the pigs is that um, get the, that pigs are an unclean animal. Which again, this is actually another moment, very likely dealing with um, Gentiles because Gentiles generally 
generally, Jews did not keep pigs. That's something the Gentiles do. So, again, kind of showing um, the multi multiple places and uh, areas that Jesus is going to teach at. Uh, chapter 9, beginning of verse 1. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. His own city would be Capernaum, not Nazareth, just to make be clear. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. So, first, it, so this paralytic is brought before Jesus. The very first thing he does is he forgives him. Why? This man is a paralytic. Clearly, the thing he needs appears that the thing that he needs is he wants to be able to walk and not have to be carried around. I mean, I want you to understand something. Being a paralytic in time of Jesus, I mean, they didn't have fancy wheelchairs like we do now. They didn't have hospitals. They had nothing to really care for them. If you were a paralytic in the time of Jesus, more often than not, you just ended up dead. Because nobody wanted to take the time to carry you around everywhere. This shows incredible dedication on the part of the, of the friends of this paralytic. So it's quite exceptional that this man is even alive to be carried to Jesus. But nonetheless, this man is brought to Jesus. And Jesus right away doesn't, he doesn't cure his paralysis. He just tells him his sins are forgiven. And this infuriates the scribes. They said this is blasphemy. Blasphemy to understand, blasphemy is when someone says something against God. And in this case, so Jesus didn't straight out say, God is, a, I don't like God, or whatever. He didn't straight out sin against God. <coughs> but he committed the greatest form of blasphemy in their mind. He committed the greatest form of blasphemy. And that is he is claiming to be God. How did he claim to be God? By forgiving sins. The only person that could forgive the sins of another human being is God. I want you to explain, I want you to understand why. Let's pretend for a moment I just walk up to some random person and just slog them in the face, right? Punch this guy in the face. Who is the only person that can forgive me for punching that person in the face? The only person is the person I punched, right? 
Somebody that watched it can't forgive me for what I did to him because I didn't sin against them. I sinned only against him. So Jesus here forgave the man of all of his sins. Now how could he do that? He did that because every single sin that was ever committed by him was committed against Jesus. And the only person that could say that is God. That's why it was a claim to divinity, which is why he says, for which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk. The answer is both are equally difficult. No, the, the person that could tell a man, a paralytic, to rise and walk and he's able to obey is the same person who could forgive sins. That's God. And so he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. The fullness of his healing, he didn't just tell him rise and walk. He told him to rise and pick up the very bed that he has been carried around on for all those years. And so it goes back to why did Jesus forgive sins first? The reason simple is that that man... Though he may not become paralyzed again, he's going to get old, he's going to get frail, he's going to get to that point where he's not going to be able to get around very easily anymore because his joints just don't work the way they did. So Jesus gave him what he needed the most. And that was forgiveness. The forg again, the forgiveness of sins is what we need more than anything. You see somebody who's in a hospital, who's sick, who's got cancer, or heart disease, or AIDS, or... Um, you know, leukemia or whatever horrible disease there is in the world, the thing that they need more than healing is they need the forgiveness of Christ. I'm not saying we don't need medicine. I'm not saying that the doctors shouldn't be treating them and that we shouldn't hope for the, the big better. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the thing that they need the most, the thing that every human being needs the most is the forgiveness of sins, and they need it as often as possible. That's why it's a good practice when making hospital visits for pastors to bring a communion kit so that they can give, give communion, which gives to them the forgiveness of sins because that is what is most needful. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a, of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So, first you have the calling of Matthew. Notice how surprising the way it goes down. Um, first, okay, actually first I get hit to the point... That Matthew is identified as Matthew. In the other Gospels, he is identified as 
Levi. In Matthew's own gospel, he is identified as Matthew. And this, again, is hitting at another theme in the gospel of Matthew. The Greek word for disciple is Matthias. Matthias. And Matthias sounds strikingly similar to Matthew. And that's intentional. There is, there's a word play going on here. And so there is definitely a theme of discipleship in Matthew's gospel. And so here, follow me. What does a disciple do? He follows. So using the name Matthew is to strike in the image of discipleship. And it's actually quite shocking the way it goes. You know, you know, you don't see Matthew going, I, I don't know, Jesus. I got other things to do. You know, there's a lot of taxes to be collected or whatever. He doesn't come up with excuses. He just doesn't. He just leaves his job. I mean, think about how radical that is. Imagine somebody just walks into a McDonald's, goes to the cashier and says, Hey, cashier, follow me. The cashier just leaves their job and starts following this guy. That'd be radical. Especially if the person never met him. All right? So that's what Jesus did. It's you know, a pretty incredible moment. So then they have this dinner, this meal. Jesus is with the tax collector. Tax collectors are, in Jesus' time, were considered the worst of the worst. Now, there's nothing inherently evil about collecting taxes. That is not why they were disliked. The problem with tax collectors was multiple. First off was the fact that tax collectors collected taxes for Rome, the Roman Empire. They're collecting for the enemy. Second, the people that most commonly collected taxes for Rome. Now, if you're just put this in perspective, if you were the Romans and you needed to hire people to do a job in Jerusalem. Where are you going to f look for employees? Are you going to get a bunch of employees from Rome and then send them on the ship to get there? No. You're going to talk to people who live in Jerusalem. It's going to be cheaper. It's going to be more convenient. So which means that the people who are collecting taxes were very often Jews. So they were considered to be traitors treacherous backstabbers right? and then to only make things worse is that tax collectors were notorious for taking more than they needed to in order to pad their own bank account alright so that is why tax collectors are hated they're traitors and quite often thieves and so people were grumbling and no he says I like this he says those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I came to not to call the righteous but sinners. So in other words, this is a reminder. The church is a place where we come and we feast with Jesus in the Lord's Supper. Jesus does not want the righteous person. He wants the sinner. You've heard that old adage that the the hot church is a is a place for the is a hospital for the sick, not a country club for the well off, and that is very 
accurate. It's going off of the language right here that Jesus himself is using, right? Somebody's also made us a good, maybe even say it's more like a hospice center where all of us are actually not only sick, we are dying, all right? And we're going to the one person who can reverse that fate, the great physician who is Jesus. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskin. If it is, the, sky, the skins burst and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Very simply, do we fast? Yeah. We talked, I talked about this a couple weeks ago. Fasting is good and beneficial for Christians to do. That's about as much as I need to say on that. Uh, verse 18. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with her disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and say, seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put aside outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose, and the report of this went through all that district. Now, in another gospel, this gets identified that this is Jairus, um, is Jairus's daughter. Now, there, in Matthew's gospel, there's a few details that are different. One is that here it says that the daughter had already died. And so which one's right? Is one writing the other right, it's probably very likely that Matthew is rushing the story and not putting as many details. He's just like, yeah, the daughter died, and he's he's not going through the whole point that you're sick already. He's he's just getting out that the story happened. Um, but it also does show the compassion of Jesus because this um, woman who had a, the discharge of blood for 12 years she had this for 12 years, just as long as this daughter, who happened to be 12 years old, which we read in another gospel, was the same. So this, when Jesus says, daughter, see this is an acknowledgement that while that girl is the daughter to Jairus and is important to him, to this ruler, the, <clears throat> the woman who came up to Jesus to be healed is also a daughter to him. And it's a reminder that everyone, every person is 
precious to Jesus and is cared for by Jesus. And by the way, they should also be precious to us and we should also care for every one of them. None of this, we got to take care of our own first. No, the Bible doesn't talk that way. We care about we care about everyone, even our own, our own and those who are not our own, because all of them are daughters of Christ. All right. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were open. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. They went away and spread his fame throughout all the district. As they were going away, behold, a demon, a pressed man, was mute, was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisee said, he cast out demon by the prince of demons. And we're going to come back to that a little bit later. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, but they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That last part is a good ending point. You know, we, the Christian church has a major shortage of church workers. We do. We have a major shortage of church workers. Shortage of pastors, shortage of teachers, shortage of DCEs, etc., etc. So, and the thing is, is that the people, the number of people who need to hear about Jesus just keeps growing. So we indeed need to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest because they are few. And the harvest is indeed plentiful. And we must recognize that we ourselves are laborers. We ourselves are here to tell about Jesus. To preach the gospel of the kingdom. To have compassion on everyone. Because Jesus had compassion on us. And he gave us forgiveness. He won us life. Therefore, in reaction to his great love, may we have compassion on others and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom to others until he comes. So that's where we're going to end. Um, so let us uh, pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, 
We pray that you'd open our eyes and hearts and minds to see the many people who need your love. We pray that you enable, would enable us to serve others, to proclaim the gospel of your kingdom, that they may hear and believe, and by believing may have life. In Jesus' name, who taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. We conclude this, I conclude this recording with the singing of the hymn, Praise the One Who Breaks the Darkness. Uh, before that, a uh, reminder, I am Pastor Neil Wemus. This was a recording of the 101 series. Um, if you are looking for a church in the area, um, in your area, I encourage you to go to www.lcms.org, www.issuesetc.org, and or www.lutheranliturgy.org. Go to their Find a Church tabs, and you should be able to find a church in your area. If you happen to live in the area of Ida Grove, I'd love to see you at our church, uh, St. Paul Lutheran Church in Ida Grove. Uh, we have services at um, 6 o'clock on Saturdays, and also at uh, 10.30 and 8 o'clock on Sunday morning. However, starting June 18th, we are going to switch up to a summer schedule. And during the summer, we'll have services at 6 o'clock Saturday and 9 o'clock Sunday uh, with Bible study to fall at 10.15 on Sundays. So uh, with all that in mind, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Again, we're going to conclude with the hymn, Praise the One Who Breaks the Darkness, from Lutheran Service Book, hymn number 849. Praise the one who breaks the darkness with the liberating light. Praise the one who frees the prisoners, turning blindness into sight. Praise the one who preached the gospel healing every dread disease, calming storms and feeding thousands with the very bread of peace.
Praise the one who blessed the children with a strong and gentle word. Praise the one who drove out demons with a piercing two-edged sword. Praise the one who brings cool water to the desert's burning sand. From this well comes living water, quenching thirst in every land. Let us praise the word incarnate, Christ to soften in our place. Jesus died and rose victorious, that we may know God by grace. Let us sing for joy and gladness, seeing what our God has done. Let us praise the true Redeemer, praise the one who makes us one.